Welcome to Dakota Health, a health and medicine podcast from the University of North Dakota School of Medicine and Health Sciences. I'm Kristen Peterson, along with host Brian Schill. Each episode of Dakota Health explores a specific healthcare topic with UND-based faculty, students, and staff from across North Dakota. Today, we speak with Dr. John Allen, director of the school's simulation center, about simulating medical reality, mobile simulations across North Dakota, and how technology has changed medical education. Hello, Dr. Allen. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, thank you for having me here. It's a pleasure. Excellent. So, um, again, you are director of the Simulation Center at the UND School of Medicine and Health Sciences. Briefly, if you could define medical simulation for listeners and kind of what, you know, what it is, how it's used at UND and in med schools around the world. Sure. Um, using mannequins and actors to portray real medical scenarios in non-threatening setting to help learners become familiar with and better at patient care is basically what medical simulation is. Uh, It allows learners to practice their skills of communication, procedures, professionalism, teamwork, without causing any harm to any real patients. It involves low-tech task trainers, high-tech computerized mannequins, and even human actors in a setting that replicates the real medical settings. Okay, very good. And so you've been doing this for how long? Remind me. So we started the very first simulation in about 2002 with standardized patients and then we've grown uh, immensely since then. Okay and the standardized patients being the the quote the actors not the mannequins. Correct yeah the standardized patients are we refer to them as SPs and they are Mm -hmm. the real people who act as patients with Mm -hmm. uh, appropriate training. Okay good. Um, so you mentioned you've been doing this sort of work, or UND has at least, since around 2002, so that's over 20 years. What changes have you seen in medical simulation over the decades uh, that UND has been doing this work, uh, both with technology, which we'll talk about, and then students too? So starting with technology, obviously you didn't use mannequins uh, at first, so what tech changes have you seen in the past 20 years? So the technology changes have been everything from just low low fidelity task trainers to the highest fidelity mm-hmm. computerized mannequins that can emulate all kinds of human physiology and actions. The computerized mannequins look the same, but over the years, their technology increases so much, they're able to do much more than they used to be able mm-hmm. to do. And they're becoming more human-like in their appearance as well. In other areas, I think probably the most prominent change is the rapid acceptance and the growth of simulation and training for healthcare professionals. It's been around for decades, as you know, although the research and uh, its effective on its effectiveness has grown throughout the years. It's proven uh, without a doubt that it helps learners to learn better and to become better providers and it can substitute in some instances for patient care in learning. So it's growing rapidly around the country, the number of sim centers paralleling the rapid increase in the technology as well. 
Very good. So um, technology aside, then how about students? Again, in the past 20 years, and we've had things emerge like COVID, are students appearing, whether it's PA or medicine or other students, are they coming to the Sim Center better prepared or sort of understanding and expecting that kind of simulation, or they've been doing it already, or how have you seen students change? Um, I don't think there's been a real change in the students and how they are prepared for it, because the younger generations that have been coming up for a number of decades have been pretty tech savvy, yeah. more than those of us who grew up with no computers in the homes, and we didn't have phones to carry with us, right. uh, and we didn't have all the games that you could do. These students are very tech savvy, and they can adapt to simulation very well. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know that that's changed a lot. What has changed a little bit is how they approach uh, a mannequin. Some, there's always a small number of people who just cannot suspend the reality that that is not a real human being and therefore get into the patient care. Mm -hmm. they, there's a barrier. And even though they're very tech-savvy, a small number just have difficulty with that, and simulation world has to accept that. Mm -hmm. And it's a matter of trying to help that person, that student, uh, find a way to learn from it. But overall, uh, they're tech savvy, and they haven't changed a whole lot, I don't think. Sure. They have difficulty working with the mannequin because it's mechanical. So what, what strategies do you use to sort of get get them over that or get help them learn from the device nevertheless? Well, first of all, we have to get into why they have that trouble. Mm -hmm. Many of them are very uh, social people and they're interactive and they've only been interactive with other people. Mm -hmm. And to interact with an inanimate object to them, there's like a barrier in their brain. They just can't do it. Mm -hmm. There's some evidence for that, but also it's kind of what my observation is as well. And then we have to work with those students and get them involved. Mm -hmm. And if we do it on an individual basis, it's very hard for them to get used to that. They just can't interact themselves and the mannequin. So to put them in a situation where they work in teams, their colleagues, their classmates, they work as a team with the mannequin, and they can see how their teammates, their fellow classmates, interact with the mannequins, and they can start learning that, I, I think we can do it. I see them doing it. And they gradually kind of fall into um, a pattern of, I guess, replicating what their classmates are doing. Mm -hmm. And we see that they get better at it. Uh, some of them, it's still very difficult, but by putting them in a team situation is probably the best way that I know of to get them used to it and to acknowledge it with them rather than just ignore it mm -hmm. and think that they're just a, a they can't learn and we're going to let it be. That's not acceptable mm -hmm. because we have to try to let them learn, try to help them learn and acknowledging it, discussing it with them privately and then letting them work in a team. I think is the best way to get over that. That's fascinating. Um, so again, adaptation on the fly is kind of the name of the game there as well. Good. Um, you might have answered this question a little bit already. 
Have you seen changes, uh, Dr. Allen, in how medical colleges dedicate time or resources to medical simulation over the past several decades? Yeah, I certainly have. There's been a rapid growth of new simulation centers all over the country, and they're very detailed and very technical. And accompanying that is an increased research on how learners learn, how we evaluate and assess the learners, and how do we train the learners. And I think these are the biggest areas where the medical colleges, and I gotta give credit to the nursing colleges as well because they probably took the lead before the field of medicine did. Mm. But it's the research and the adaptation of simulation into virtually every aspect of patient care. Medical colleges, nursing colleges, PTOT, PA programs, they're all adapting the use for that. So to the point, you just mentioned nursing, PT, and OT, and you that's because we emphasize interprofessionalism and interprofessional learning here at UND, Dr. Allen, including in the sim scenarios. So this might be an obvious answer, but why, why is that important? Why is it important to get PTs, OTs, nurses, uh, medicine students, and say social workers working together on a simulation? Just on a basic guideline level, the... Um... ACGME, or the Accreditation Council on Graduate Medical Education, has core competencies for residents, and one of them is professionalism. Mm. They have that because we know that when people work as professionals together, their end result is better. The patient is served better. In addition to that, the Association of American Medical Colleges, AAMC, has its 13 entrustable professional activities. And included in that is interprofessionalism, the ability to work with the other professions in a team-wise fashion to improve patient care. So being a professional gains you that trust, but the interprofessionalism is what puts all the minds together. So it's not just one mind taking care of the patient or one set of hands doing the work. You have a team, a doctor, a nurse, a physical therapist, a respiratory therapist, you name it. The team works better for the benefit of the patient, and always the patient care is better when you work as a, an interprofessional team. If I'm hearing you right, you're saying the patient outcomes in the hospital are improved. Exactly, yep. Wow, that's wonderful. And so that's why we do it. Here at the medical education level, um, you mentioned standardized patients, Dr. Allen. Um, give me a sense of um, how training you know people to act like patients for these students. How has that changed over the years? And I imagine things like COVID have really helped you revise how you, um, I guess, teach medical students to interact with human beings. Yes, we started the program in about 2002 under the direction of Don Drake and uh, we actually got trained by Tulane University. They were some of the leaders in this years ago. And it's developed to the point that we train more and more intricate and more complicated scenarios. Mm -hmm. It was previously just for a, a quick interaction. There were some things that we could train for and others that we didn't know how to train for. But as the program with SPs has grown across the country, We've learned that we can use the human, the humans, the actors, to portray more and more scenarios in a more realistic manner 
and help the students learn. That student that can't learn with a mannequin can learn with a real patient, a mm -hmm. real person. Sure. In addition, we've started using hybrid models where we'll take the simulator, the, the mannequin in the sim room, but have a standardized patient be at the bedside mm -hmm. as a family member in, in support of that mannequin as the patient. So there's more interactions. Our standardized patients now are the voice of the simulators. Mm -hmm. So in one scenario, with one simulator, we might have two standardized patients and one mannequin. Standardized patient being the voice, a standardized patient being a family member, and then the students work in a team to work through that scenario. But not only that, we've increased it to the point where we'll have six rooms running at the same time with that same one mannequin, two standardized patients and a team of three or four students. So we've increased the use of the standardized patients over the years, incorporated them into our simulation that we do around the state. Mm -hmm. So we now have roughly 75 standardized patients wow. that we utilize on a fairly regular basis in the Sim Center here and around the state with our mobile program. Okay, good. And I want to get to that in just a second. I was going to say, just for the listener's benefit, too, to clarify, we have essentially two wings here at the UND Sim Center, the clinical side and then the effectively a hospital or ER or operating room side. And you can use the standardized patients in both. You mentioned these um, very these complex, increasingly intricate scenarios. Give me an example of one of those, say, on the clinical side. What do you tell these standardized patients they have to pretend to be or do for a student? So if the uh, scenario calls for a medical condition, maybe diabetic ketoacidosis, which when pretty well developed can be a very sick patient, mm -hmm. we have to train the patient to act out what a patient going through DKA would act like. We give them the medical physiology if they can act some of that. But if they can't, we can moulage things like the smell of the breath. And so we work with the patients to make it seem like they really have this condition. They have to study. They have to learn. Then they will come and portray that in front of us. And we'll evaluate them and coach them on that to get them ready for the scenario. And they have a several-page script with all kinds of things about what types of responses they should give to the students mm -hmm. if they ask this. If the students do this, what should your response be? And we try to train each of the patients portraying the same scenario in a standardized way, uh, whether it be as a bedside patient or in the clinical setting. Uh, it's pretty intense. Mm -hmm. We can train pretty significant things, including injuries, because we can moulage or make that person look like the real patient. Mm -hmm. It might mean moulaging a scar, a rash, a wound, a surgical site. Uh, so it looks quite real. That's amazing. Um, you, you mentioned too the standardized patients can be uh, part of the mobile simulation. So say a little bit about the mobile simulation program we have. Sure. The mobile simulation program is called Simulation in Motion, North Dakota, or SIMND. And it's a program that is run right out of our SIM Center, and it's just an extension of us. It was made possible by a very generous grant from 
the uh, uh, Helmsley Foundation, a Helmsley Charitable Trust, and it allowed us to get four custom-built mobile sim labs that were built on a semi-truck frame that has a clinical room on the front with bump out so it can be an emergency room or an intensive care unit mm. and then on the back end is a full-sized full-fledged ambulance and in between the two is a control room for the, all the AV technology that controls it and our goal is to go out and provide uh, medical emergency training for all the critical access hospitals and all the emergency medical services units across the state and we've grown so we do it now for critical access hospitals EMS units all the major hospitals uh, all the military units including air bases the guard units uh, we're now expanding into doing more for industry and more for some other state institutions but in addition to that we do serve the medical students when they're out on rotation on the various campuses as well. That's right, yeah. So to clarify for the listener, we have School of Medicine at UND has uh, campuses in Fargo and Bismarck and Minot as well, and we send students to rural locations as well. So you might see some of those students in some, the SIMND program in the trucks in rural areas. Yes, our um, curriculum committee has um, had us start a program called SHAPE, mm -hmm. and it's Supplemental History and Physical Enhancement. And that's for the students to enhance or strengthen those skills of interviewing and physical exam and clinical reasoning. And they do it while they're on rotations out in the various campuses. So several times a year, one of the trucks on each of the campuses is at a site there where the students can come on the trucks and take part in a medical scenario where they have to do a focused history and physical with a physician preceptor there, and then they're debriefed afterwards for their learning. And in addition to that, they'll have a clinical side where they'll go into the local clinic where we park the truck at and do history and physicals on actors, our standardized patients, uh, under the watch of a physician who can then give them constructive feedback and help them improve and just strengthen their skills. Dr. Allen, if resources were not an issue, what is it you'd like to see UND doing more or more of in the simulation center? Sure. Uh, we, we always dream and we always look forward and we vision to something in the future. And one of those is expanding the sim center to serve even more people. It would require more personnel, obviously, mm -hmm. um, and more financial resources. But being able to serve the public more. And, you know, our medical school, as the dean very affectionately and, and rightfully puts it, this is your medical school. This mm -hmm. is the medical school for the, the state. And being able to serve the people more, how can we educate them on life-saving measures? CPR, for example, mm -hmm. or the use of Narcan, or taking care of children, Anything that we could do to educate the public, I think would be really great to be able to do. We have the expertise and we have knowledge of how to do that. It's just being able to have the resources to, mm -hmm. to bring that forward. And as I mentioned, we're getting more into uh, working with more of the state institutions and industry. And again, that's serving the, serving the uh, uh, 
population of North Dakota, our medical school is their medical school. Mm -hmm. And being able to serve them is something that we can do. Our world is changing. It's becoming more complicated, and that brings more danger, and that brings more opportunities to teach people how to manage those dangerous situations or prevent them. So I think a lot of that would be what we could do. In addition, I think uh, where would we see ourselves way down the road? We have four wonderful big trucks built on semi-frames. They require CDL drivers. Mm -hmm. And CDL drivers are not easy to come by that we can just hire whenever we have to go out and do training. So we like to have our paramedics or nurse have a CDL as well. So mm. two people can take the truck, they can drive it, they can set it up, they can run it. It's not always possible like that. We've been working with a, uh, an adventure van company and designed uh, a simulation vehicle that's in like a Mercedes, uh, what are they, the Sprinters? in one of those, a framework like that. And we have a design ready. Those don't need CDL drivers. Mm -hmm. And they're much more maneuverable. Mm -hmm. They can get into areas where the trucks can't. That kind of thing would make us much more versatile and better able to meet some of the needs of industry and other state institutions. So those are things we dream about and we're visioning and we eventually that's where we want to be to be able to get more versatile and serve more people i really would love for all of north dakota i mean not only me but my team here and there's nine others here we would love to be able to work with all the simulation across the state mm -hmm. there are other wonderful programs and other universities in north dakota and and hospitals sometimes have some smaller simulation centers. The, the collective knowledge that we all have could be put together and just think of the economies of scale mm. and, the, and the knowledge how that could help each other if uh, that interprofessionalism would work in that way. So we would have a simulation network in this state that would be a model for others and that would very well serve our state the best possible way. I think we'd like to see something like that, and we're all dedicated to working towards something like that. And that is in our five, 10-year vision, so we'll keep working at it. With our mobile SIM program, uh, that's SIMND, we were asked by uh, the Helmsley uh, Charitable Trust, they liked the way we set up our program, uh, and they have started programs also in South Dakota, Montana, Nebraska, and Iowa. So there's five states that have the same trucks that we have. And they run the same types of scenarios that we run. Their objectives are much the same as ours. With the combination of the five states, there's 17 trucks. So Helmsley knowing that they really developed, helped develop something good, wanted to bring that together. So under Colette Greek's leadership here, she is bringing together these five states into a consortium of five mobile simulation states called Sim Midwest, and that's North and South Dakota, Montana, 
Nebraska, and Iowa. And the five states are working together as, as far as we know it, the largest mobile SIM consortium in the world. And our goal is to help others develop what we've been able to do to take the lead or help others in the lead to develop guidelines for safe and effective simulation and discover new ways to utilize it that would best serve the population of this country. So Sim Midwest was made possible again by Helmsley Charitable Trust and the leader of that is housed in our Sim Center. That's Colette Greek and it's uh, been in existence for about a year and it's growing and the group is functioning well together and sharing lots of expertise and it's going to go big places. Well, thank you for your time, Dr. Allen. Very interesting stuff and we look to see much more from the Sim Center in the future. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure to be here and I'm glad we can share this information for those uh, across the listening audience. And um, yeah, we're here to serve our population. And I can honestly say that all 10 of us here in the Sim Center, our goal is to help deliver better patient care because ultimately it's going to be our family members, it's our friends, it's our colleagues across the state, and we know that uh, everybody will be better if we can do our job well. Founded in 1905, the UND School of Medicine and Health Sciences is the only MD-granting institution between Minnesota and Washington State. In addition to its four-year program in medicine, the school houses degree programs in athletic training, medical laboratory science, occupational therapy, physical therapy, physician-assisted studies, and public health. It also hosts master and doctoral programs in biomedical science clinical and translational science, and indigenous health. Since 1973, our historic Indians into Medicine program has produced hundreds of indigenous physicians, therapists, lab scientists, and other health professionals for practice in rural and underserved areas. Learn more at med.und.edu. The opinions expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of the University of North Dakota the UND School of Medicine and Health Sciences, or the North Dakota University System. By listening to this podcast, you agree not to use this program as medical advice to be used in the diagnosis or treatment of any medical condition for yourself or others. Consult your own health providers for any medical issues you may be experiencing.